Actually, it was David Plouffe, so he worked for Obama. He said, like, you know, you're going to get blowback anyway, so go do the big things like tackling climate change that actually matter. Everyone knows social media because everyone's on social media, and they know what they don't like, and go talk to them about how you're going to make it better and safer. Like, just do the things that matter to Canadians. Hi, I'm Taylor Owen, and this is Big Tax. I think it's fair to say that two of the biggest challenges we're facing as a society, both domestically and globally, are questions around how we'll govern emerging technologies and whether we'll address climate change with the urgency it demands. And I increasingly believe that these two policy challenges are deeply interconnected. Tech does not exist in a cloud. It's material built from labor, finite resources, and electricity. Bitcoin alone consumes more energy than some countries. What's more, it's unclear whether we can solve these global problems in our current information ecosystem, where we can't even agree on basic facts and where online abuse runs rampant. Catherine McKenna has found herself at the center of both of these policy issues, although for very different reasons. As the former Minister of the Environment and Climate Change, she was the face of Canada's National Climate Plan. I am really, really proud what we've been able to do. We got the first comprehensive climate plan here in Canada, and we're ratcheting it up all the time. She's also the target of a lot of online hate. Not many Canadian politicians need a security detail, but Catherine McKenna did. The online abuse she faced was gendered, threatening, and spilled over into her real life during her time in office. But as Catherine says herself, this problem is far greater than any one individual. It's about who participates in our democracy. We know that women and racialized journalists and politicians receive disproportionate abuse online. They are the ones being censored. And at a time when we need all hands on deck, when tech and climate policy will determine our future, we can't afford to push people out of the public discourse. Here's my conversation with Catherine McKenna. So we've known each other for a long time, and we've been part of many of the same Canadian policy communities. And it struck me that in this life before politics, you weren't subjected to abuse and misogyny and hate just for doing policy work. Did you even consider that this was going to be one of the costs to political life? No. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a funny thing because I was on social media. I co-founded an organization called Canadian Lawyers Abroad, and I realized, okay, got to get on, got to get on uh, on social media. So I was quite used to social media, which was very helpful in my campaign. To be honest, at the very, you know, the beginning when I was running uh, to get elected uh, for two years, it was super helpful. Um, and I didn't really get a lot of negative feedback. I mean, I was just hoping that people would pay any kind of attention because I was running against a well-known incumbent. So I had no sense that this was going to be a negative space. It was just a way for me to engage with folks, um, talk about things I cared about, why I was in politics, highlight some some good people. And it really was kind of shocking <laughs> When it, it happened pretty fast, um, I went to the Paris Climate Talks 
That was really just days into my job, and that's when it started. So clearly, it was not unrelated uh, to, well, probably not unrelated to the fact we had a gender-balanced cabinet that got some attention uh, from folks, um, but also that I was working on climate. How, how did you initially experience that? So you just started noticing more aggressive comments or what was broadly a sort of positive public debate and dialogue turned more toxic or what happened? Well, I, you know, I don't know. Like, I think there was generally pretty positive feedback. And I, I should be clear, most Canadians are amazing and they're great and they don't have time for the bullshit that we see um, happening uh, online and the hate and the misogyny. Um but it was it was actually the name that I got really quick. Uh, Rebel uh, Media was the one, a so-called media organization, which it's not, um, coined the the name Climate Barbie pretty quick. And we've had people look into it. I can't exactly remember where, when it was, but it was pretty early on. That just sticks in my mind because it uh, was so glaring. Um, the other stuff, you know, maybe people were making comments and think about it so much. But it was really um, the fact that uh, they had this this particular name, and it stuck with me because I didn't even care about. I didn't like Barbies when I was growing up. Like, mm. no problem if you did, but that wasn't really my thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, why the heck are they doing this? And it, obviously, it was about diminishing me or belittling me or mocking me. Um, but it was related to climate, so that stuck in my mind. And uh, then it just, I, you know, you try to ignore these things, and actually in politics, you know, I have lots of people advising you. So my staff were really adamant, don't do anything with this, don't say anything. And so a very long time, I didn't do anything until uh, I was in New York. I was at um, United Nations, I'm pretty sure it was Climate Week, and um, Jerry Ritz, I, well, I came home, sat uh, in our hotel or in the lobby, and I looked at my, looked at my Twitter and it exploded, and I didn't know what was going on. Um, and then I saw it was because Jerry Ritz, who was then an MP, former cabinet minister, conservative cabinet minister, had called me Climate Barbie. And I just looked at my team and I was like, hey, it's over. Sorry, guys. And uh, then I drafted <laughs> my response tweet because I was done. I think, like, and you know what? You, you take a lot of abuse, but I was just kind of done. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, enough of not saying anything because it's just now ridiculous. Like it's one thing to have some some folks that are clearly attacking me online. It's another thing to have someone who's in the House of Commons. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, and I thought I was actually pretty restrained. I was like, would you say this about your mother, sister, girlfriend? Um, if not, then, you know, how about don't do it to me? Um, and it, it got a fair bit of attention. And that's when I realized, okay, you know, maybe you got to call it out that it's, you know, you can try to sit back and ignore it in the, in the with the thought that you're just going to get more attention if you call it out. But the problem is it's insidious. And and you note that, you know, someone like him can reach a whole other swath of people. Um, and that was a big problem. But it seemed to me watching that from the outside that in some ways that label was held up almost in in a, a way to trivialize the problem, I think. Like that this was just the normal kind of name calling that happens and so on and so forth. And in some ways obfuscated from the real escalation of all of this. I mean, there was like literal hate speech. There was deep, deep, deeply, deeply misogynistic, horrible trolling. Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually a good point. How did it escalate to that? Well, you know, how, do, how does anything escalate, right? Like I, I have Barbies in my house. I'm looking here. Uh, people would send me Barbies with hate notes. 
Um, they uh, actually would have images online of Barbies being crushed, like literally hammering down Barbies and then a whole range of things. And I mean, it's interesting because people will be like, well, could you identify, you know, an incident? I mean, just go to my, probably my social, go to my Facebook or Twitter right now. Um, You still see it. You still see it. And so I don't know how it escalates, but the problem is that it's not just an online problem. And and let's let me be clear, we can't diminish the online problem because it's it's actually beyond me. And I think this is an important point that that maybe folks don't realize. Like, sure, it's attacking me, but they were like limpets. They would attach themselves, like the haters would attach themselves on anyone that might be mentioned. So I could mention like a teenager and say something about, you know, the amazing work you know, this teenager's doing, or a child has a straw, and, you know, it was a metal straw, and they're trying to do that, and then suddenly, whoomph, it would be on them. And so, you know, attacking them, and beyond that, a lot of people said to me they would never engage on my Facebook or or, um, yeah. uh, or on my Twitter because, mm. gosh, like, they're just going to get attacked. So it actually has an impact on other people's speech. So it's not just my speech. But, but taking, going from online to offline, I mean, that's just a strange thing, right? You don't exactly know what's going on, but we suddenly had a number of incidents. And I think because you're able to say suddenly all these things online and you feel like, oh, it's great. You can just go say them. And uh, it's not obviously acceptable online, but it's certainly not offline. And it, 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 yeah, it resulted in people screaming at me with my kids. It resulted in incidents in my office, in my house, my campaign office, I wrote the C word. Um, so it had real impacts. And those are only the things you know about. Like my neighbors would report things. It just leaves you a bit on edge because you never really know what's going what's gonna to happen. And I would try to report or block folks on the basis that if anything ever happened to me, and it's kind of sad, yeah. that they would have a group of people to go consider um, now, probably a lot of these were bots, uh, you know, but uh, who knows? And so I would just do that. And, and, and the volume was so high, like whether it was the RCMP um, or whoever else, like they would say, just, you know, let us know. Um, identify the ones. And I was like, that's a joke. Like, how am I supposed to identify ones? And the social media companies, that was a real joke when we when I would— um, we sit down with them and they'd have like a very serious, we're very concerned about this. We take this very, very seriously. And then I, I'd say, okay, so what are you going to do about it? And they're like, well, just report anything that, I, I was like, what? This is not my job. My job, my team, uh, and I could spend 24 hours a day reporting them. And uh, that's not what my job is. I don't have time for that. Um, and they have the algorithms. Like that's what really made me mad. I was like, okay, so what are you doing? And then beyond that, when we would report, Often no action taken, zero. Yeah. So did you did you complain a lot to the companies themselves about what was going on? And eventually, I told my staff to. I told my staff because it was also very hard on my staff. Like my staff took it very hard. Like they're posting a lot. I post on my social media, but you know, you if you're the person who's being attacked in a way, you have to get you know, you kind of get pretty tough about it. But I said to them, like, if you see really bad things, like if they are threatening me or, you know, saying anything, you know, horrific, just go, honestly, report them. And uh, they started tracking it. They probably didn't weren't tracking it at the beginning. And we didn't get a lot of traction. Like, I think at the beginning, we didn't even get people, you know, responding. I mean, I think they're better now to respond. But, you know, a lot of things that weren't okay were just allowed. 
And and so, you know, that's demoralizing because you're thinking, okay, they've told us we have to report. They're not doing anything about it. And here we are reporting and they aren't taking it seriously. And of course they say, everyone's always like, we take this very seriously. I have to, um, have to laugh because uh, I was at an event last night, actually Equal Voice, a great organization supporting women in politics, lead sponsor Meta. They have a guide. She leads Facebook safety tools and tips for women leaders. Maybe they should change the title. It should be Women Leaders Giving Tips to Facebook on How to Keep Women Leaders Safe Online and Offline. Because, you know, the problem is I, I like social media, but you've got with power comes responsibility and they have a huge amount of power. I feel like this is the guide. This guide is like the guide. It's the Chernobyl nuclear safety folks putting out a guide on nuclear safety. Like, I'm sorry. And that maybe sounds very mean. But that's how I feel because I went through this and the reality is we need more women in politics. It's not about me. It's about my kids. It's about women who want to get involved in politics, girls. And so many of them have said to me they will not step up in politics partly because they've seen the abuse I would take. And I said, no, that's like literally the worst. That's 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 really the worst lesson you can take from this because we actually need more women and girls in broader diversity um, to fight this because, you know what, I think more women and girls will actually be the ones pushing for more legislation, for yeah. more regulation. Because yeah, um, they, they and, felt this more personally and intimately than Because they felt this more and, personally, yeah. yeah. And that's like, I mean, that's what worries me the most about this whole story and is just the broad, what it does to our democratic participation. I mean, we're, we talk a lot about cancel culture and censoring and canceling at the moment. Um, but the effect of this kind of speech and the way speech has been weaponized via these technologies is a certain kind of censorship. We are forcing the people who are most affected by it, which is people of color and women, out of our public sphere in in really meaningful ways. And and I wonder if like is that is that the cost we now have to bear for having these tools that we have a more narrow range of participants in our public life like <laughs> 100% no like that's why that's why I speak out cuz people are like gosh don't you get exhausted speaking out yes i'm trying to like tackle climate change i've left public life not because of the haters but because i just want to focus on climate change but i am taking this on because I want more women to get into politics. I want broader diversity, whether you're indigenous, part of the LGBTQ2 plus community, you're a new immigrant, whatever it is, I want you to be there, but it needs to be safe. And you know what? That's on two, let me just on three groups. One, that's on the social media companies themselves. It is super on them. They, may, they are making money off of people like me. They have the algorithms, which we don't have transparency on, um, and they have the tools to take action. Two, it's on, it's on governments. It is on governments to regulate. Um, and to be honest, it now seems that the social media companies themselves are like, yeah, actually, you should regulate us. Well, well great. Okay. Certain types of regulation. I mean, certain types. That's true. Yeah. They're very particular about what types, but I think government does need to take action. And just so we're 100% clear, I did human rights law. I'm all about freedom of speech, but that's not what we're talking about here. And as you say, they're impeding people's speech. They're impeding women from getting politics, but all these other people from even wanting to engage with me because they're just like, gosh, I'm just going to get like piled on. 
Um, and thirdly, it's on the public. It's on the public on calling it out and not kind of being complacent about it. And I don't think people are, because I actually think the public is way ahead of us. Um, there's really great work. I know you're part of this, but um, the, the Citizens uh, Assembly, um, I think it's on online expression, sorry, democratic expression online. And it's interesting, you know, when you actually bring a cross-section of Canadians, represented cross-section of Canadians from all walks of life, from all parts of the country, um, they actually don't think it's okay. No. Right? They're, like, I'm, they I'm don't. I'm blown away by that work, I mean, and that process. And it's, the, it, what's astounded me by it is the urgency with which citizens see this as a problem. I mean, they, yep. they just, they viscerally feel it and they think our politics are getting destroyed. They think their, the civility in our public life is getting undermined and they, and they, they're angry, right? And they want change. They're angry and they're worried about their kids. They're, they're worried about a whole about range like, of things like, you know, body image issues on Instagram, because you know what? We now know, and, and thanks actually in Facebook's case to a very brave woman whistleblower, that, that they're actually feeding the beast, that these companies are actually fostering, you know, hatred. They're promoting things that uh, are, are causing real harm to society, and they do need to be held accountable. So part, part of how they need to be held accountable, as you say, is through governance, and we're in a pretty different spot than we were when you entered politics, I would argue, in terms of this debate, when very few people yeah. were talking about it. Now, all of a sudden, there's pretty unanimous consensus that there's going to be policy in this space. And yet it's been really hard. <laughs> like there, there is not a big piece of legislation that's been passed in Canada, for example, to deal with this problem. And how do you reflect on that? Like, why is it so hard to get this stuff through and passed when you see the urgency of it and the public is demanding it? And aren't all the pieces there for, for big movement? Yeah, I think they are. I think you just have to be brave. That's what politics is about. But actually, Canadians are, are are kind of wanting the action, as we know. So just politically, it's actually a good thing to look at regulation. But I think that it's up to the government. Um, I'm no longer in government, but I think to to be brave, but also, you know, look at the support there is out there um, and, you know, be targeted. Don't be overly broad. Don't think regulation can solve everything. But I think there's certainly a space for it. Um, and you know what? We don't even have to be the first mover. I know Canadians don't. I mean, I'm happy for us to be the first mover on things. Yeah. But I think Canadians sometimes don't like being ahead of the game. I mean, look at Australia. Uh, look at Germany. Look at other countries that are already out there taking action. And so I think you can look at lessons. I will say I used to be a trade and competition lawyer. Uh, I think antitrust, uh, competition law, uh, we have tools. Um, I know there's well, some view that we our don't. Our competition commission might not have the tools they need. but that's Well, I a, think they say that the, the competition, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get into like the lawyers um, can, can dispute things. Um, the Competition Act is an act of general application. And I, I know maybe, you know, you got to reform it. How long is that going to take? To get legislation to reform the Competition Act, I don't know. I would just go for it. People um, told us that the price on pollution, very different thing, but wasn't going to make it uh, through the courts. And guess what? It was upheld by the Supreme Court. We're in a different place right now. Uh, I think the world has changed a lot. Um, in co it was kind of quaint in 2015 where um, if you were in politics, you were told you couldn't block anyone. 
Like by the end, I was like, I don't know if you're making like threats against me. I'm sorry. I'm blocking you. And by the way, you're probably a bot or maybe you're a bot. And so the world is, is, a, is a very different place. So I think whatever tools we have, we should be using them, pushing them to the limits. Courts can decide. Um, and being smart about how we regulate it. As I said, there's examples from other jurisdictions uh, and really look at what are the real harms that you can effectively address um, through regulation. And I think social media, it is hard in some cases, right? Because things are out there. It's hard to get things back, the genie back in the bottle. But I think you need to, you need to certainly do work and try. And I have my own views. Like I think anonymity online sounds great. And often I, I hear this um, from social media companies that are extremely concerned about human rights activists. Oh, so am I. Um, but we've seen that actually um, it's being used by state actors um, to silence me, uh, human rights actors, and they know that. So I'm not entirely sure I'm buying a lot of their arguments. So look, I think it is, um, you know, any any regulation, you've got to be smart about it. Um, but I think politically alone, Canadians expect action. And they wanted it yes- yesterday. <laughs> Look, the second thing I want to talk to you about is is the way this tech infrastructure and these tech companies, which are the, I mean, largest companies in the global economy at the moment, um, and some of the largest companies in in human history, um, intersect with uh, the core focus of your work, which is is climate policy and climate change. Um, and it strikes me that they do in a number of ways, um, and and one is just purely on the production and emission side of things that. Um, we tend to think of these tools as virtual and um, uh, in the cloud, but they're they're very tangible. They're they're built of things. They're built of resources we extract that are finite. They emit huge amounts of carbon and energy. They use a huge amount of energy. Um, and I'm wondering, in your conversations in in COP and otherwise, to what degree are, are is our tech infrastructure playing into the conversations? Well, I mean, it's interesting that you point this out because I've been I've been thinking about this a lot. I mean, just think about the data centers alone. <laughs> That's a huge issue in terms of the use of uh, electricity. I mean, in some cases, it's not clean, but even when it's clean, there's a, like we need electricity. We need to electrify everything. So that is a huge issue. And let's not even get into cryptocurrency. <laughs> I mean, well, it's uh, so- Bitcoin, the energy of Argentina. Right, it's just for Bitcoin. It's amazing, and I don't know why we don't talk about this uh, more, given that we all care about climate change. Um, look, you know, I think so. The one area I probably will give tech some credit is um, generally there is a view that they should be tackling climate change. Now we'll probably get into the disinformation online because that may be and and allowing you know the you know some of the big uh, as we know Exxon and and others um, to really be out there promoting things that are not true. But on the actual, like committing to net zero, um, on, you know, really focused on how do they reduce their emissions, I I think there is a will to do that. Um, But like every industry, um, you know, they are a major emitter. And the more we use, like the more we, this grows and grows and grows. I mean, the more power we're using. And that is a, a huge challenge, especially, I mean, obviously, if you're, you know, the electricity is all coal um, or even gas, I mean, that's contributing the problem. And as I say, even if it's clean, it's just we need to electrify everything. And that's going to be a real challenge in the future. Um 
Yeah. But I mean, as I say, like, I think they're, I, I think, I think honestly, they are, they recognize they got to be net zero. And there's a, there is a movement, I think, in Silicon Valley um, to, to really push on that. On, on the on the emission side of things and the energy and their side. own so emission consumption of their own like of their own sort of operations yeah and and so as you mentioned the the flip side of that is the type of behavior and discourse that is being enabled by those technologies and I I do worry um, that both climate change policy and global tech governance are just these huge global problems that require um, some degree of coordinated action. Um, and I'm just not sure we're able to have that discussion in a world where we believe different things, where we're deeply fragmented, where we're incentivized to be opposed against one another, where disinformation and sort of profit motive driven false information is incentivized. I mean, how do we ha- solve this problem, this like global collective action problem in that information ecosystem? Well, I mean, let's start in the positive place, right? You know, the good news, is, and I saw this as minister, I mean, you can reach a really large cross-section of people in a way that you couldn't before, yeah. right? Before you knocked on doors, I don't know, newspapers, but now you can you can reach a, a huge cross-section. So that is good, um, and, and you can engage, so that is good. The problem is the level of disinformation out there. And on climate, it's bananas, right? Like, I put out a piece, and it was, they, they love, like, I feel like my haters, my climate haters, they really, there's certain things that get them going. So if uh, I put out a piece that was talking about ecological grief in children, it was just a factual piece. I just linked to an article and just said, like, this is really worrying because it mm. is. It is mm. really worrying the, you know, the, the percentage of young people who have always grown up with a knowledge of climate change who are really experiencing deep grief. So it's a serious topic and uh, it's just factual. It's just like a, it was like a CBC article or something. And like the pylon, like the number, I can always tell, like when I get like 500 comments, I'm like, okay, let's just go open this up and see what's going on, right? Like the first first few will be fine because they'll, they'll promote the first few. And then you go down and you're like, mm, whoa. And then a lot of people are muted, like the ones that are the climate deniers, but I like open it up and um, it's astounding. And that's just the responses to my pieces. That's not the misinformation and disinformation um, online and that has a real impact too. Like, how do you measure that? But the amount, um, whether it's, and there's concentric circles, by the way, um, mm. climate deniers, anti-vaxxers, misogynists, yeah. they're not mm. just, the, the, you know, they're right. concentric, they're circles yeah. that overlap. They're not exactly the same people, they're pretty close, um, I think. Uh, and that's, it's a huge challenge. And then beyond that, there are actually like legitimate corporate actors that are financing these campaigns or engaged in these campaigns. Um, including, you know, we've seen actually it was interesting. There was an article talking about where you had climate denial. Um, I think they classified it as that. I may not get that right, but, uh, you know, in, in newspapers or in, in uh, publications and uh, the National Post was one that was like the top of the list. So that, you know, they're promoting their articles go online. People pr- promote these articles. So it kind of looks legit. So that's a real problem because that's like kind of mainstream news. But then you have like all these things that are just kind of bananas out there. And yeah, it's a real challenge. And I, I think about this because I was like, well, can't we just capture some of this with algorithms? Um, like I know, you know, the argument will be the volume's too much. Like you can't have fact checkers. I'm sorry. Like, first of all, there are campaigns that are particularly 
organized. Um, I see them. And so you probably start there. But I think that there are ways, um, if you want to be a good corporate citizen, to figure out this. And I don't think it's always on us. Like government isn't always the one that's going to figure out, okay, how? what are the best tools for these companies to do their job, which is hopefully not like, you know, engage in, in decent discourse based on facts, um, especially in an area like climate change, where it is a huge issue because to land major policy pieces like a price on pollution, um, if it's just misinformation and disinformation, it makes it extremely challenging. But I don't know. I don't think there's easy solutions there. And And then, as you say, then there's the discord, like you get, you know, if you're you know, talking about climate change and the challenge, like people just like latch on to you. And, and then do you decide to like, if you're just a regular person or. Do you want to engage in that? Like, why would you want to? I mean, oh. I, I sometimes I'm like, I did take a break when I, there was one campaign um, mounted against me about six months ago mm. and I just couldn't handle it. It was so, it was all lies, but it was just yeah. really negative. And I just like, and it was actually my eldest that saw it. And they're like, okay. you're trending. I was like, I'm trending. Why am I trending? Yeah. And I, I tried to not look at it, but I just yeah. decided I was getting off. And then I was like, okay, who is this? How does it help? If you're a cabinet minister, you know, trying to tackle big issues like climate change. And I was yeah. also infrastructure, getting mm. sustainable infrastructure built, like yeah. closing off the channels to reach people um, is very, you know, it's it's cross purposes at the very least or counterproductive. So, yeah, I don't know the solution. I don't know the solution. Well, I mean, look, I mean, one of the other things that makes it in some ways difficult to get to a solution is I think the debate in our public discourse on both climate and tech policy and governance in various ways um, are being shaped by corporate interests. And I think yeah. we see that in Canada. You held up that pamphlet from Meta about empowering women online. But like, they're everywhere, right? They're funding journalism. They're funding academic research. They're funding nonprofits across the country um, in very similar ways to what the oil industry did, which is just sort of this soft power of, of being in, in funding yeah. conversations really changes the public discourse. And I'm wondering if you, do you see a parallel there between what you experienced in the climate world with the playbook we're seeing in, in much of the tech space? I mean, it's really interesting because I, I hadn't really thought about it until I saw an article about Facebook, Martin Patrick Kenny, um, and he was just talking about how many organizations are funded. <laughs> By Facebook and like even you know Equal Voice, great organization, main funder is uh, is Meta, um, yeah. And like what happens? Like everyone can be like, oh no, it's fine. We're independent. We're just like, <laughs> no, actually, I mean, we just know there's a reason there are conflict of interest rules in government because there, you know, if someone's you know giving you something, then you're going to have a different approach. Um, it's very hard to even if you want to not have a different approach, you know, sublimely, but often just very obviously, it's not in your interest to speak out against social media companies. And I think that that is an issue and they have lots of money. Um, and, and that's interesting because I think, you know, for such a long time, we were, everyone was really pro social media companies, right? We're like, this is great. It's going to be a platform. Everyone can. And so we kind of let this all happen. And I think that there's a very mixed view. And I, I often hear this actually from social media companies where we're like, but everyone uses us as if like, 
everyone uses us. So it's, you know, we're obviously not that bad because everyone uses us. What choice? This is gets back. I'll go back right, to, to putting my competition hat. And monopolies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. yeah, I guess you don't have a choice. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a politician yeah. and I'm not going to go on social media. Like I, I'm going to have little pamphlets that I'm going to put out, you know, to, uh, to all Canadians, like airdrop with like, I don't know, uh, drones or something. So, you know, we don't, we don't have a choice. And so I think it is a very big issue. Um, not look, it's smart. You know, you could say it's very smart on their part. Um, cause it's not actually, it, it's interesting because it's not actually big money. In some ways, sometimes, you know, this, the amount of money that you're giving may be consequential to the organization, but they're not, they're not, we're not talking about billions here. No, and in many cases, it's thousands of dollars to small thousands organizations. Thousands of dollars. And, and yeah. that, that, the distance that goes is, is quite remarkable. And also having roles. Like, it's interesting also having roles on boards and within organizations. That's also um, obviously another way. You're sitting at the table with someone. Are you really going to raise an issue when you're on a board? I've been on many, many boards. Um, obviously, everyone wants to get along. And so I... I I do wonder, like, I, I, I just actually didn't know how broad-ranging it was. Right. And do you see parallels with the, with the oil industry and the climate movement there? Is that... Well, I mean, it's, it, it's really interesting because it, it, uh, it feels like that now, uh, I think. Um, before, we, we might have thought it was just benevolent. That's great. Um, you know, supporting greatly. You know, they're supporting media. Like, who can be against media? Supporting good organizations, doing good things. Who can be against it? But the problem is you're buying your love, are you? And that's the question we should ask. So, like, like, the other big thing that is happening, I think, with a lot of this power and money shifting to some of these large corporations, and I think it's clearly the case, is that we're starting to see sort of a self-governance movement, a push, back, push away from the state in many ways and democratic processes. And I, I wonder in the climate space with sort of new geoengineering solutions emerging from the tech world, if you see a shifting power balance almost in terms of climate policy away from the state and towards these big private actors who may start doing things in, in really big ways to shape our climate or change our climate or is that, is that on your radar? Look, I mean, I think that the reality, and this is maybe broader than your question and, and the, the scope of this podcast, but I think the, the reality is power is shifting away from governments, um, or maybe more actors are, are trying to tackle the climate problem. And, and I actually generally think that's a very good thing because there are very big limits on what governments can do. Yes, in terms of capital, we need way, way more capital. It's like in the trillions and trillions of dollars. So we need the private sector to be investing. But we also need, you know, people to be taking different risks than government can take. Uh, we need people to, who maybe understand um, or are willing, you know, to look at new technologies that governments may not, you know, be willing to look into. Um, there's a lot of philanthropy. Like the, the reality is, is these, these companies have generated a lot of money for the founders. Um, so they have uh, a lot of money to draw on. Interestingly, through the pandemic, they all made a lot more money. So, um, but I, I actually think that's kind of good, you know, in a way, like I'm like all hands on deck. Could we all just be very focused on this? And we need people to play different roles in the climate space. And so, um, you know, philanthropic money um, often is more um, flexible. Hopefully it can be faster, Um Hopefully you're doing it in the right way. Um, so if you're working in developing countries, indigenous communities or wherever, it's led by the communities. But I think it's, I, look, I think 
it is interesting to see a real shift. And that's that I think is just a generally a positive thing because it's not just on governments. Like I, I when I listen to everyone, they talk about, you know, Canada, the federal government not doing enough. Well, first of all, provinces, we depend on provinces. So if Saskatchewan and Alberta don't, you know, their emissions are going up, it's the federal target, I guess. But I mean, it's not because the federal government isn't trying to do loads of things. But then it's like particular industries. We know that there are heavy emitters, and so we need them to be part of the conversation. Um, and then there are, you know, indigenous communities protecting large swaths of nature. That's really important. So as many people as can be involved uh, is good, although sometimes I do laugh because I've spent some time in the Valley, and people, some of these tech companies um, will be about interplanetary sharing of resources. I think then when you've lost me, I'm just like, sorry, it's not tech isn't going to solve the 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 climate change challenge. We actually have existing technology because we work on those because we don't have time. We need to actually get bend the curve in 10 years, like get off coal. We know what to do to get off coal. Yeah, that doesn't need a tech solution, right? I think there is still this tendency to think, oh, if we just like, we're just going to engineer our way out of this. Um, I don't know, engineering probably got us a bit into this, but I don't think that's the only solution. So look, having sort of, experience in politics and the sort of challenges of this, of the climate issue at the moment and all the sort of the toll all of this must have taken. Like, how do you stay optimistic on all of this? You seem, you seem full of optimism and I'm, I'm uh, I think envious, it's my, envious. It's my, it's my personality. Um, <laughs> look, I'm someone well, like, what choice do you have? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm just like a, a realistic optimist or some days an optimistic realist. Um, I just like what I am focused on because people, you know, were like, gosh, you're leaving politics like you've given up on climate change. I was like, actually, it's the reverse. Like now everyone has to grind away politics. We've got to plan, got to implement, implement, implement. And now I'm focused on how do we get the systems change? How do we get the gigaton reductions? How do we get more disciplined on implementation? And that's not just Canada. I mean, that's the whole world. And I think there's some good lessons. So Look, like we actually know the most of the solutions, and so that's what motivates me. Like, okay, let's just do it. Um, and uh, maybe it's a competitive swimmer in me. I'm like, I see the finish line. The finish line is we have a sustainable <laughs> planet. Okay, head down, do yeah. the work. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean that's what I'm going to be working on. And I think that I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to work at a very high level on climate. But also, I was Minister of Infrastructure, uh, working with the infrastructure, Canada Infrastructure Bank, so understanding how do you leverage private sector investment, having worked internationally. I think those are some some skills that, you know, give me an opportunity to hopefully make a difference. That's all I want in life. That's why I got into politics, got into policy to make a difference. I said I wasn't in there forever. I was going to leave when I'd uh, done what I'd come to do, and I really felt that that was it. And now, um, now it's on to the next thing, just climate, just yeah. climate. It, it strikes me that's the just to close. That's the that's another parallel with this tech policy debate and governance debate. I think that we largely know what to do, and now it's just a matter of implementing it. And surely this iteration, and some things are going to work better than others. And politics is complicated, but we kind of know what to do, and we just have to do it. Yeah, and I think that actually what I learned in politics, actually, it was David Plouffe. So he worked for Obama. He said like. Like, you know, you're going to get blowback anyway. So go do the big things like cli- like tackling climate change that actually matter. Yeah. And that would be my, la- like, that's what I tell, you know, my colleagues. I just like, and I was always probably that at the cabinet table or within caucus. Like, you know what? We got into this to do big things. Like, just do them. And 
do the things that matter to Canadians and don't go halfway, like just go do it. And, and, you know, you might make a mistake. This is a hard policy space, but I mean, like perfect can't be enemy of good, especially because you won't do anything. You'll be paralyzed. And, um, and then explain it, talk to Canadians, like do it in a way. That's why I love the citizens assembly that you actually are engaging with people and talking like a real person about what it matters. And you know what? Everyone knows social media because everyone's on social media and they know what they don't like and go talk to them about how you're going to make it better and safer um, and, you know, better debate, but less hate, less misogyny, um, less racism, less anti-Semitism, less, you know, I think you can kind of go on. We all know what we don't want. I think you got to talk like a real person, do the hard work. And I, I think we, we must be ready now because a lot of work has gone into this. Like, as you say, just implement, go implement. That's my hope. Um, because I really just want, uh, I believe in democracy, but I worry like you do about what's happening online and the impact it's having on our democracy. So no time to waste, just get it done. Um, and you know what, it's going to be an iterative process as new technologies develop and you see the impacts of you know, policy. Um, you can adjust. That's okay. Agreed. But Ed, thank you, because I know you've been, I think it's been really important, the work you've been doing and and how you've been raising the alarm in many cases. And I think we can't be complacent. We need to to actually recognize that democracy matters and the ability to to speak freely, but also in a way that, you know, doesn't um, incite violence or hatred or foster, you know, or allow folks who who want to attack, you know, people in public life. Um, um, I think that's really important. So yeah, that can't be the cost. So likewise, and thanks for, thanks for taking the time today. All right. Thank you. Talk soon. That was my conversation with Catherine McKenna. As always, you can reach me at taylor at bigtechpodcast.com. Big Tech is presented by the Center for International Governance Innovation in association with Antica Productions. The show is produced by Trevor Hunsberger, Debbie Pacheco, and Mitchell Stewart, with associate producer Dania Ali. Please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We release new episodes on Thursdays every week.